Keats Podcast. Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. I'm Cameron Hay at Cameron underscore Hay on Twitter. I'm, of course, joined by co-host Drew Williams at Dope is Drew on Twitter. We have a special guest on this episode of the Play for Keeps podcast. Denver Nuggets. Can we say we can still say rookie forward, can we? Or, or is this like your second season now since it's like we playing in October, September? See, I still got rookie duty, so I'm still a rookie, <laughs> I guess. All right. Rookie forward. Tyler Cook at IMTC25 on Twitter. How you doing, Tyler? Man, I'm good, man. I'm good. Just trying to stay sane in this bubble, bro. So. Yo, man, uh, how's life been in the bubble other than, like, you know, hooping and all that? What have you been doing to keep busy when you're not working and preparing for the opponents and everything? Uh, shit, a whole bunch of shit, honestly. Um, I'm still in school now, so I take classes. I take two online classes. Um yeah, I listen. I mean, I listen to a whole bunch of podcasts, including this one. Um, listen to a whole bunch of stuff about investments, real estate stuff. Um, just a whole bunch of stuff to try to keep my mind occupied uh, whenever I'm not on the court. So uh, I just try to find any and everything I could do to, um, you know, stay entertained and stuff like that while I'm in this bubble. I've been there for almost three months, so uh, it's been tough. Real estate is that something you want to get into after hooping, or while even while you're hooping, is that something that really interests you? Yeah, definitely. Like in the near future, you know, in the next, uh, you know, couple of years or so, obviously you got to have the capital to do so first. Um, so I'm, you know, trying to stay on the conservative side of of uh, all my investments, really, until, um, you know, I'm comfortable financially and I got all my other stuff taken care of. But, yeah, that's definitely something I want to do. Um, you know, I don't want to just have one stream of income. So um, do whatever I can do to try to, um, you know, create wealth for myself, my family and all that. So for sure. Is that is that what you are? Is that what you went to school for at Iowa? Is that something that you're no, what nah, you hell no. <laughs> uh, I, was, I still don't even know what I went to school for at Iowa. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I studied uh, communications, which is just a bunch of like writing and yeah, speaking class and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah, it, it was you know just like more high school basically. For real. <laughs> All right, but bro, talk about how different the bubble has felt now that they've allowed families to come in. Does it feel like there's a little bit less tension or not really? Uh, it definitely feels um, a little bit less like a bubble now, which is a good thing. Uh, you know, you see people like families and stuff walking around. You got kids walking around this place now. So, um, you know, it's uh, definitely more comfortable now, i say. You know, I had my parents up here for a few days, um, you know, this since left. But, it, uh, you know, I'm, I would assume that everybody else said the same thing too. Everybody likes kind of having – uh, fresh faces around and stuff. You know, you see all the players, you know, five, ten times a day each, you know, so it's cool seeing some some different people around the bubble. Has, has this given you, like, a is that people, we've seen people say this is, like, AAU kind of, and, like, you, you're walking around this suite or campus, and, you like you said, you're seeing other players every day. How different has that been, like, seeing your opponents or even just other NBA players on a day-to-day basis and knowing you were going to have to play against these guys? Yeah, it's crazy. Like after uh I remember after game one of this of this series, we came back. Uh we obviously lost by a ton. We got off the bus and we on the elevator with like the Clippers team. Like they just like waxed us an hour ago. You know what I'm saying? Now we're on the same elevator with them, all going to the rooms and stuff. So it's it's literally just like AAU. You know, we all stand in the same spot. Uh but it's cool though. You get to see um, you know, guys, you know, really in a you know, in a comfortable state, you know, you don't got to worry about media following you around, a bunch of fans and stuff like that. So 
uh, you really, uh, you know, see everybody who they really are in the bubble. So it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's just a whole different environment than what you probably are used to. For sure. I'm about to ask you a real important question. A real yeah. important, I know this one probably going to definitely get you to talk your shit a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, you played on a Chaminade team that is one of the most loaded teams, if not the most loaded team to ever play in Missouri, a 2015-2016 Chaminade State title team. Right. Where do you feel that that team ranks amongst, like, the greatest teams ever to, to play in Missouri? With the amount of Division One guys that you guys had. How many guys went D1 off of that team? Uh, I want to say six, five. I think it's five. Yeah. Yeah, Myself, Will, Jay, Mike, um, Jericho. Uh, who else am I missing? Carrington, Davis. That's seven. Oh, six. Six. six whatever. Yeah. So that's yeah. We was deep for sure. So how do you feel you as you guys ranking amongst the greatest teams to ever play in St. Louis, Missouri? You think you guys could beat anybody? If you for sure. Absolutely. Them? I'm putting us number one. Number and, one. You know, obviously I'm biased, but you know for obvious reasons. But you know we had everything. You know we had side. We had. This, Hell, like we had all kinds of like every position, you know. What I'm saying our shortest player on the floor was six three. Yeah, you know, that's our point guard. Um, we had shooting, you know. what I'm saying we had scores in isolation. We had low post guys and myself and Will. You know, we had everything. You know what I'm saying? Athletes, all of that, um, and especially that 2015 2016 year. Like we knew how to win ball games too. It wasn't just like we was talented young kids. Like in terms of high school, like we was like we was vets. You know, what I'm saying we was in our primes in high school. So. Yeah. I'm taking us over any and everybody. For I'm, I'm not saying like it'll be a good game, especially with all the Brad's teams. Like Brad was like Brad was cold in high school. You know, what I'm saying? Cam shot You know, all those dudes. You know, it was cold too. But I'm I'm taking I'm taking my team over everybody. As expected. Yeah, no, I feel that. <laughs> I got to. I got to. And it's it'd be it'd be different. Like if I, if my team was like okay, and I felt like we were lose, I'd say that. But I'm not. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I don't think it's too many people that's gonna beat us. Did y'all lose it? Y'all didn't even lose a game inside of Missouri. You see, no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> we waxed everybody. <laughs> I didn't lose a game inside of the state that whole season. Nah, yeah, that was it. Got ugly when we, was, when we played at home. Yeah, facts. I remember I came to see y'all play Ritter and y'all shoot out at Chaminade. Yeah, at, like, and I remember the first game y'all played them earlier that year was kind of like close. I think it went to overtime or something. Yeah, it went to OT because uh, <laughs> me and my coach, I got into it. So he benched me for uh, fourth and overtime. You know, obviously, Jay had, a, Jay had a great game. But because I was out, they was able to throw, you know, two, three bodies at Jay whenever they wanted to. So, you know, they took it down to the wire. We still got the dub. But, you know, after that, you, y'all know how St. Louis is. Everybody talking crazy, talking about Ritter about to beat us at our, at our own crib. <laughs> but like 40 it got ugly quick yeah, i remember it got it got ugly fast i was in the yeah. car i was like yo I, I remember like jason made like his first four or five threes or something crazy in that game and they just couldn't stop y'all at the at the rim either it, was, it looked like y'all didn't even belong on the same court which is wild. exactly what it was they didn't belong on that florida <laughs> we was not gonna play around because normally we play around with like we played around with everybody the game would be close for the first quarter the first half and then third quarter you know it'll be a 30-point game we wasn't even playing with them that day no, that was crazy. Got him out of there quick. Yo, speaking of Tatum, you guys obviously played together in high school and AAU. I know you were around him like on a daily, but did you think he'd be an all-star, like all-NBA player this early or did you? No, know? I did for sure. Like, and it's like, and I'm 
being 100% honest with you. So when I first met Jay, we was in eighth grade, and that was my first year at Chaminade. You know, obviously he was already in the top whatever in the country. But then I seen I seen this dude play for the first time when I was in eighth grade, and it was like he was head and shoulders above above everybody. Like it wasn't even close. Like his skill set, you don't see no 14, 15-year-old kid doing the kind of stuff that he was doing. And this is before he could even shoot the way he shoots now. You know what I'm saying? He could he could still shoot the ball, but it wasn't it wasn't like what he's doing now, you know what I'm saying? But you could just tell from an early age that, like, he had it, you know what I'm saying? And then on top of that, like, I always got to school early because I lived 30 minutes away, so I had to drive, you know, a little distance. So I got I get there early, and Jay coming in from the gym, you know what I'm saying? So, like, he – not only has he had a skill, but, like, he works his ass off too. Like, from the time we were 14, 15 years old, you know, every day in the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning, you know what I'm saying? So – and I was like that throughout high school. He just kept getting better, kept getting better, kept getting better. And then um, by the time we was like seniors, I knew as soon as he gets to the league, like he's like coming for his off rip. You know, it's not like he ain't about to be no regular rookie. Like that's why like when he like the playoffs in his rookie year, like I was like, I expected that shit. You know what I'm saying? Because that's just what he'd been doing his whole life. So, um, yeah, I definitely knew, you know, from early age he was going to be he was going to be like that. Definitely. Uh, and you and Tatum, y'all both played for the Eagles, now the Bradley Bill Elite. Yeah. And obviously Brad went to Chaminade too. What do you think is the most important thing Brad has taught you personally? Really the the, the biggest thing that Brad taught me, um, and he, he didn't even say nothing to me, um, but it was just like the fact that he, you know, cared so much about pouring back into, you know, us, you know, in the city um, in terms of giving us, you know, the best – you know, team and organization that we could play for. He was there, hands on deck, making sure that, you know, we was doing everything the right way. You know, the players and coaches, he was there, like, coaching us on the sidelines, telling us, you know, little bits and pieces to, to clean up in our games. You know, he was just there. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times you see guys that may have an AAU team, they're not even there. Or they'll come to a game or two to show their face and they be out. But Brad, like, was really invested in, in the youth, you know what I'm saying, which was us at that time. Um, so it really just taught me, uh, you know, to, to stay, you know, attached, to stay um, tapped into, you know, wherever you came from and to make sure you're still giving back to the, you know, to the, to the younger generation. So that was dope, you know, especially from a young age, seeing Brad, you know, being there so much, you know, at that point, I'm in eighth grade and I didn't know Brad personally then, um, you know, about eighth and ninth grade year. It was just dope because we had an NBA player coaching us basically, you know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but now you, you look back and see how important that was because, you know, some of the stuff that he taught me, you know, helped me get to where I am now, you know what I'm saying? So, um, it was dope, and then obviously being able to play against Brad uh, this year, you know, swap jerseys and stuff like that, and to see, you know, how we how far we came from that point is is dope for sure. When you know a, a guy from your city of that stature and become an all star, goes to the league, yeah. like see him do it, that's one thing. But then when he comes back and just like and you as a kid, you could like see it, and like you could actually like touch him, like you right there, you see it's like even more possible or attainable probably. And that's that's huge, especially because like at that point. I didn't know. I, I didn't have a scholarship at that time. So I'm like, I'm not even thinking about the NBA. I'm trying to go to college. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but he, seeing him, like you said, seeing him come back, like that just kind of lets you know that, okay, this dude is really, you know what I'm saying? He been through all of this, you know what I'm saying? So that kind of gives you extra motivation and gives you some hope that, you know what I'm saying? That's not really just no dream, but you can actually, you know, achieve some of this shit. Yeah. And like you said, you, you didn't have a scholarship yet. You talked about how Jason was at eighth grade, ranked super high. Yeah. You sounded like we're more of a, I don't want to say a late bloomer, but it took you a few years. But you ended up a top 60 kid in your class by the time your senior year rolled around and it's time for you to graduate. Yeah. 
what made you pick Iowa over like schools like Kansas that were recruiting you or like the local school like Mizzou? What was it about Iowa that ended up making you commit there to college? Well, I got my first scholarship offer when I was a sophomore from Illinois State. And they and uh, they offered me in there right after that. Uh, I got an offer from KU because we was at a team camp and I uh, went off, you know, the last few days. And uh, Bill Self offered me on the spot. But then I left, um, started playing, you know, back in the AU circuit in the July period or whatever. Um, and then that's when my offer started rolling in. And Iowa was my third one. My senior, my sophomore year up until the time I committed, Iowa had been recruiting me. You know, KU was kind of up and down. They'll call me a few times a week and then they'll stop. You know what I'm saying? So when I see, started seeing like schools doing that, I'm like, I'm cool on them because they don't really need me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I wasn't the type of dude to where like, I was going to go in there and, you know, have everything handed to me. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, I wouldn't even rank until like my senior, my junior, senior year. So I'm not one of them dudes yet. You know, I can't, I don't got the luxury of just going somewhere and, you know, having the shit made for me. So I wanted to go somewhere that, that needed me. Right. So by the time I get to my senior year, I'm like ranked like 35th in the country or something like that. So I got like a somewhat of a name for myself. Um, you know, I had like 20 plus offers, you know what I'm saying? Um, and my my final three was Florida, uh, Iowa, and Iowa State. Um, you know, Billy Donovan left uh, Florida and took the OKC job. Um, Fred Hoiberg left and took the job in Chicago. He was a, a Iowa State coach. And so Iowa was my, was my choice. Um, my choice is made for me. I'm not saying that there was the last choice, but that was the, uh, the three that I had. Those were the three that I was, like, considering. Then, you know, other two kind of dropped off, so that was that. Um, and I ended up going to Iowa. Plus, it's three and a half hours from the crib. Uh, my family could come see me play whenever they wanted to, and that was important for me too. So um, right. ended up working out pretty well. I got there. I knew I was, they was going to have to play me, you know what I'm saying, because they didn't have a lot of pieces. They had a huge senior class graduating and leaving. So, um, you know, I had everything I needed there. Checks. And so you spent – Three years at Iowa. And every year you were there, you were a double-digit scorer. Like you, like you said, you came in, you knew they were gonna need you. Right. You, came, you averaged, I think, twelve points immediately as a freshman, and then your rebounding went up every year while you were there as well. Did you have it in your mind by the time your junior year came around and you realized what type of player you were that that you were leaving immediately after your third year, or what made you decide that you didn't need to come back for your? Yeah. So I, uh, I knew after my sophomore year I was gonna leave after my junior year. Because I put my name in the draft after my sophomore year, had you know a handful of work. I think I had like six workouts for teams. Um, didn't get didn't get invited to the combine or that, but um, you know I had good workouts. From that, you know after that, I pretty much knew and understood, um, you know what it was going to take for me to get to this level. Uh, I had a, like a, a ton of great mentors and people helping me out. Uh, obviously at this time Jay was in the league. I had Brad. Uh, I had spoken to David Lee. Uh, we ran into each other at Shamrock a couple of times. Jahadi White, other guys, just everybody, you know, from our community that had been there. Um, you know, I had those people kind of that had my back. So I was able to, you know, tap in and get a bunch of information from different places. Uh, when I went back, when I decided to go back for my junior year, I knew what I had to do. And so I knew at that point, like I even like my team knew, my coaches knew that this like my junior year is about to be my last year and I'm, I'm getting out of here. Because for me, it wasn't, it wasn't even like uh, I'm dead ass here. Like they knew. I told them when I came back, like this is my last year. Um, <laughs> But uh, at that point, like I knew what I needed to do. So like for me in college, I could have went, you know, back to my senior year and had 25 a game, you know, 10, 12 rebounds, whatever, had a bunch of awards. But my role in the league was going to be the same no matter what, you know, my numbers look like in college. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be a rebounder, defender, you know what I'm saying, finisher, you know, pick and roll guy, whatever. 
uh, until my role expands after I put in my time as, you know what I'm saying, doing this role. So once I knew that, I'm like, there's no point in me coming back from my fourth year. You know what I'm saying? I know what I got to do going into my junior year. So I did that and left. So, you know, that was uh, my mindset going into it. For me, it wasn't about scoring a ton of, you know, a ton of points. It was about me winning games, um, you know, to show that, I, you know, I'm a winner. So yeah. we, did that. we got to the tournament, did my job, you know what I'm saying? And my job directly correlated to what I'm doing now. Thanks. And during your time in the Big Ten, before you had left to go to the league, like you played in the Big Ten, it's a power five conference, one of the best conferences in college basketball. Yeah. A player, like while you were in that conference, stood out to you the most, like gave you the most, like you just stood out. Trouble. You gave you the most trouble, or just like do you remember just being a level above what you had normally had seen before you had got to that level? I'll probably go, I picked two players, uh, both from Michigan State, actually. Um, Miles Bridges. Miles' energy like was crazy. Like his motor on the floor, his energy like, like that was your whole job. Like just trying to stop him, stay in front of him, like keep him off the glass. Because like no matter what, if he made five threes or, or none, like he's going to impact the game like crazy. Yeah. So like that was one dude that I always respected because I knew that every time he stepped on the floor, like he bringing this shit and all of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and the second dude was Cassius Winston. Cassius' basketball IQ was through the roof. Like some of the like the passes he made, um, how he's able to set his, his team up, like they really looked to him. Like he was Tom Izzo on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like whatever he said goes. Like they he got everybody in the space they need to be. Ran the show. You know what I'm saying? Pushed the tempo every single time. It was like clockwork for him. So it was um, those two dudes I respected a ton. You know what I'm saying? Because we I was never able to beat them. I got close twice, but I never could do it. Um, but those two dudes are. Uh, especially together, like it was a problem. And Bridges was a, uh, he was in the same high school class as you, wasn't he? Yeah. He's in the same class, yeah. So you had seen him in high school as well. He's the same type of player every time you played him, even from high school through the time at Michigan State? or Even more so at Michigan State. Like he, I mean, everybody in high school, like, you know, want to score the ball. So, you know, he'd take more, you know, jumpers. And, you know, obviously he was always super athletic, but he wasn't the Michigan State Miles Bridges in high school. He was still like, you know, energetic doing what he had to do. But Tom Izzo, like, you know, brought the best out of him. So um, I played with him and Cassius, you know, and against them before we even got to college. Cassius was in our class too. So, uh, yeah, they was both. They were, they've been problems for a while. And so, like you said, you did three years at Iowa and you knew you were going after your junior year. And everything has worked out for you because you made it into the league. Yeah. You started off the season, the first NBA team you were with was the Cleveland Cavaliers, correct? No, I actually uh, I signed with Denver um, the night of the draft. I uh, ended up breaking my ankle um, after the combine, like a few days after the combine. Um, so I couldn't do any draft workouts. Um, so Denver signed me the night after the draft. I went on drafted. They signed me ended up being in Denver for all of training camp. Uh, and then like a week before the season, they waived me. Cleveland signed me off of the waiver. So I spent the majority of the year with Cleveland. And then once I got done with my two-way, I was traded to Oklahoma City uh, G League team. So I played with OKC Blue for like a month. And then, you know, the pandemic, you know, happened and then ended up signing back with Denver. So that's where I am now. You just had a crazy journey, first of all, throughout yeah. your yeah. And also, you say start off with Denver, didn't really play with them, and then going to the Cavs, playing with a team that's like a developmental team pretty much. A lot of young guys, like you said, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, uh, Kevin Porter, guy, and then yourself, really young, and now you're on the Denver Nuggets, who is a contender, and you're right. in the conference semifinals. Like, 
how much of a roller coaster has it been for you in your rookie season? Just going through those two different types of teams and expectations. Uh, it was it's nuts. Like I tell people all the time, like I don't know who else in the league. I'm sure it's you know plenty of dudes, but I've had the craziest rookie season you know ever. You know, I don't have been on every single kind of contract. I'd have been cut, waived, you know what I'm saying? All of this stuff. Um, but it's, it was definitely a difference um, going from uh, from Cleveland, like you said, a, a developing franchise or developing team um, to a title contender in, in, uh, in Denver. Uh, it's it's definitely a difference. You just see, you know, in like the day-to-day stuff, obviously we have all the pieces and stuff, but, you know, the way, you know, practices and, and games are ran and coached, you know, the approach that the players take, um, you know, the vets that like we have here versus, you know, a super young team like it was in Cleveland. You know, it was a, it was a lot for me to take in. I'm still, you know, trying to take it, take stuff in and figure it out so that I can lead this situation, having learned and gained something. You know what I'm saying? But just to say the least, it's, it's been crazy, man. It's been a hell of a, a first year, but I'm thankful that I'm here, though, man. A lot of people don't don't get here. So you know, I'm just trying to stick around. With that in mind, saying how you're trying to stick around and you're grateful that you're here. When the season stopped and it, and it got announced that it was going to restart, and like you said, Denver gave you the call to, re- to re-sign you for the remainder of the season, did it ever go through your mind of opting out like some of the other players did, like to choose not to play going back to Orlando? Or was it always in your mind that if I got that call, I was going back down there? I was going, yeah. to, go. I was going to play. like <laughs> <laughs> uh, You know, especially at that point, like financially, like I, I need to go play. You know what I'm saying? I just got in my first year in the league. Didn't even get a full year's worth of paychecks under my belt yet. But I like after that, I was like, yeah, if I get a call, like I'm, I'm going to play, like for sure. Um, so once they got, they got, they called me on like, like seven, seven at night. I feel, I think it was like a Thursday or something like that. They called me like seven at night. I was on a plane the next morning at six a.m. Like, <laughs> like, dog. I had to like I packed all my shit that night. I was on a plane like twelve hours later, dog. You, you flew straight to Denver or did you go yeah, straight to Denver? That's crazy. Talk about the environment of the bubble. Does like the noise that they're like pumping in, does it really feel like people are there or is it most? Hey, bro, it actually does. Like, if you don't, like <laughs> it's crazy because like you, you look around and it ain't, it's like 13 people in the whole gym empty. But the noise is like, it, like it pretty much sound like authentic. You know what I'm saying? So just in the moment, like if you're not, if you just locked into the game, like I don't like call myself channel on D fan with the with the crowd, like it's a crowd in the, you know what I'm saying? Whole yeah. time it's the speakers, like it's it's crazy, but they did a, like a, a a good job with that to where I actually feel like you in the game and it's a crowd there, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. I just real, I actually just realized it like a few games ago, like like towards the end of the Utah Jazz series, I'm like, yo, they actually got like this fan noise is real. Bro, it's not crazy on TV, bro. Like we yeah. watch it, and it's it it sounds like a real NBA game. Like yeah, crazy. yeah, they did a good job. They did a good job with everything down here, man. The setup down here is incredible. Big yeah. ups to the league for doing that. It's dope. Speaking of that uh, Utah Denver series in the first round, Jamal Murray, Donovan Mitchell. When you think about it, the most dynamic scoring matchup. You got to put that up there as far as like all time. Probably is the highest two, so far. Two fifty point games, yeah. bro. And they both like, had a four. Man, that, have you ever seen anything like that where like two guys are going at it over the, time? Like it ain't just one game. Like they were going at it for games. Bro, that was like the craziest stretch of basketball I've ever seen in my life. Like hands down, because like you said, it wasn't just one game. Like night after night after night, like they was going at it, bro. Like and the type of shots that Jamal. 
and uh, Donovan Mitchell was making, bro, it was it's ridiculous. That like people that series cannot be forgotten. Like <laughs> we we gotta like steady remind people about what those two dudes did that that seven game series, bro. It was incredible. Like it's only a handful of people in this league that can do what they did. You know what I'm saying? And that that that's the type of series that lets you know, like, okay, it's a difference between good and great. You know what I'm saying? Those dudes, that series is going down like all time, like one of the greatest series that you're gonna see. Facts. Like when they whenever they do the inevitable thirty for thirty or whatever on the whole bubble. There's like, gotta be in there. That's gonna yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, whatever documentary or whatever they do about this this unique environment and circumstance, that will definitely be mentioned. It has to, bro. That was man, that's that's like the epitome of must see TV. That shit was crazy, bro. I will never forget that in my life. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, y'all were down three one. What was like the mood in the locker room, bro? Was everybody just like we're gonna take it game by game, or was everybody aware, like, all right, we got a win or go home mentality? We gotta, you know, yeah, gotta- it, it was uh, like we obviously everybody understand like when you down three one, it's very unlikely that you're gonna come back and win the series. But it was weird because like after we went down three one after game four, we like we was down a lot, but we were like. It didn't feel like we was out of it. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes when you lose, like, you feel like, hey, we ain't had no chance. But sometimes it's like, man, if we just figure this shit out, like, it's over with. And that's yeah. how we felt. You know what I'm saying? We felt like we had the better team by far. You know what I'm saying? But obviously Utah Jazz is such a good team, like, together um, collectively that it's hard to stop them. But, like, we was like, man, we just figure this out, like, defensively, um, you know, stick to, like, who we are identity-wise on offense then we can handle this shit. You know what I'm saying? We don't got to worry about getting to game seven. This is Let's just win game five. You know what I'm saying? One game five, let's get game six. Boom. And all of a sudden, pressure's on them game seven. You know what I'm saying? So um, after we figured out, you know, the stuff that they were doing offensively, we got a, a ton of great defenders on this team. Um, you know, everybody locked in. Obviously, like we was talking about earlier, Jamal went nuts. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Nicola was Nicola. We had guys making shots. So, um, I don't think we never felt like we was out of it, like for real, for real. We just understood that if we, you know, trigger off another game, we going back to the crib. But like, we got to lock in and try to figure this out, um, or else we going home. What's weird is like right after y'all got out of that game seven, y'all hopped in and started with the Clippers, and you talked yeah. about it earlier. They they pulled away and got y'all with fresh legs and everything. And then game two, you got there in complete control of the whole game from tip off. Yeah. They, back and forth how much detail do you like you know you, you're in there with you know Mike Malone and all of them every game how yeah. much detail goes into the in-game adjustments where you're trying to prepare for the next game man it's it's a ton like you have to really be locked in you know especially in the playoffs because you're playing against the same team you know at least four times in a row so yeah. um you got to be locked in and you got to try to get any and every kind of advantage you can to win games. You know what I'm saying? Because we know them, they know us. We know all their plays, they know all our plays. You know what I'm saying? So you really got to find like any and everything you can do um, to gain an advantage on your opponent, you know, to win a game. Um, and you know, I think Coach Malone's one of the best in the business at, at uh, you know, identifying those things and getting the guys to, you know what I'm saying, to adjust and, and make those those changes. But like, yeah, like we, like you said, we was down, like we got our asses kicked game one. Game two, you know, we had to do. Came back, made, you know, one or two adjustments, and boom, we, you know what I'm saying, we up 20 in the first quarter. So it could be – it's like the little stuff, you know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of stuff that goes into a basketball game, but you can, you know, figure out those those few things that you can do, and it could change, the, you know, the, the whole dynamic of the series. So 
the, with the Utah series, like Drew said earlier, you guys were a three seed. So you guys were favorite from the public anyways, and everybody was picking you guys to win. And now you're coming into this series with the Clippers where it seemed like everybody's picking them as like the team that's going to win the championship. Do you guys come in with a different type of confidence knowing that you came back from 3-1 already? Like, do you – of course you guys thought you can beat anybody, but does that give you a different type of edge once you come – you one of the few teams to ever really come back from a 3-1 deficit? Like, For sure. Like, it's like we done did – like, we we just did what's basically impossible. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was 11 teams in history that did that before we did it, you know, last week. So, at that point, we understand that no matter how much we down, you just got to keep moving, you know what I'm saying? Because we – you know, now we like we perfect example. We were on 2 1 last night. Ain't nobody stressing, you know what I'm saying? Like, obviously, we wanted to win that game, but our like we gave ourselves a win. They made a couple plays that we didn't. Boom, we understand. We watch film today, we get better, we move on. Like, it's not like we like, damn, bro, like it's like, shit over. No, like we, you know what I'm saying? Because we what we just did against Utah, like, there's no like stressing about this 2 1. We just like our mindset is we're gonna go ahead and even this shit up tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? So, um. I haven't been through that Utah series. I gave us a whole different kind of like mindset, in my opinion, at least moving forward in, in terms of, you know, facing diversity and stuff like that. 100. And like you just playing with this team that full of professionals, like guys that are, even though they're, it's, you guys are considered a young team. They made the playoffs last year. You're in the playoffs again this year. So they know what it takes to win and be successful at a high level. Right. Like the main thing you've been able to like take from this group in this time that you've been there as far as that you'll be able to carry with you as far as being a better professional going forward? Is there been anything that you learned in this short amount? Well, you said you've been there three months actually with them, so it really yeah. hasn't been short. But Yeah, it's uh, – I mean, I, I was here for, for training camp, which is a long process too, so I like I know these guys, you know, pretty well. But, like, everybody on this team, like, understands their job and does their job. You know what I'm saying? Nobody tries to do nothing outside of what they asked to do. You know what I'm saying? And that's – huge especially for a team that has championship aspirations like we do um you know everybody knows their role and does their role to the best of their ability and um you know when everybody does that more often than not we win in games so um you know everybody's like you said super professional they do what they ask to do you know you don't see when guys coming out like they don't be mad and you know off to the corner and you know complaining and stuff like that like we you come out you know what i'm saying boom that everybody up you understand you got to be ready because you're going back in so like everybody does their job and takes pride in doing their job. I think that's one of the the, um, the reasons why the, the Nuggets have been so successful. Not even this year, but last year too. They got a bunch of guys that are bought in um, and understand what you know we need them to do on the floor to be successful. Thanks. So that's, like you said, that's that's something that I'll I'll take with me for the rest of my career, especially knowing that like okay, I got a job, I got to do this in order for us to be you know the best that we can be. That's from like a professionalism standpoint, but from a specific like skill set standpoint. You are playing on a team with a guy like Paul Millsap, and you guys have basically identical type of body type. And then even a guy like Jeremy Grant, who is slimmer than you, but he's a guy who can like play inside, play a little bit outside. Right. And is there anything from their games that you are learning or trying to implement within your own skill set in your rookie year that you will be able to take forward going forward the rest of your career? Is there anything from just playing with high yeah. veteran guys like that? For so, sure, I was uh. I remember in train, before training camp when I was in Denver, um, we would just have open gym like every day. And um, I would guard Paul. And, uh, you know, every time he had the ball, I'm, I'm quick in the ball. I'm faster than him. I jump higher. Like, all, like physically, like, I'm, a, I'm more athletic than he is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But 
every single time he had the ball, he had a step on me, and I could not figure out how he did it. You know what I'm saying? So like, I thought it took me like almost two weeks to I'm trying to figure out like how was this dude like steady kicking my ass? You know what I'm saying? Like, I couldn't figure it out because I'm thinking, okay, I just got to be crooked to him and beat him there every spot, and I'm good. But like, the thing with with Seth is like he's so like deceptive. He knows how to get his body like because once you like on the side of him, like you're dead. You know what I'm saying? Because he uses his body. Um, and he has such great pace with what he does that he's able to like to trick you. You know what I'm saying? Like his fakes are like he sells every single one of them. You got to honor his shot fake because he can shoot the hell out of the basketball. Um, and then he finishes well, you know, like one of the best finishers at the rim in in the league. And he don't even be dunking shit. You know what I'm saying? Like he just got great touch around the rim. Um, and so afterwards, I was, you know, I obviously sat down with him and talked to him a bunch of times just trying to figure that out. But he was, you know, just watching him and, and hearing from him and seeing how he plays the game, the kind of pace that he plays with, um, you know, how he sells all his fakes and all that and uses his body. Because, um, you know, rarely, especially nowadays, Paul's not going to be the, the more athletic dude in, the, in his matchup. You know what I'm saying? But he always is successful because he knows the game. He knows how to play and he knows how to beat his defenders and stuff. So um, that's something that I've already gotten a ton better at, you know, since I was there in training camp. So that's, that's helped me out a lot because, you know, at first I was just – trying to, you know, use my speed and quickness and strength to, you know, try to beat everybody. But now I understand, like, it's more that, that goes that goes to it. You know what I'm saying? You got to be creative and understand angles and um, change the change pace and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I've definitely, you know, put that in my game. I'm still working on it now. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Not to backtrack too much, but we talked about you guys being down 3-1 and how you guys literally could be, you know, voted off like an island, damn near. Like, they come and tell you, like, your bags need to be packed. Like, they yeah. take you out. When that day eventually does come, whether you guys are winning the championship or are eliminated, what is one thing that you want to add to your game to be better prepared for next year now that you've gotten to your rookie year? Um, man, I think, I, I think it's easy to say shooting. You know what I'm saying? You Everybody's got to be able to, you know, to, to make shots, especially as a role player in this league. Um, but that's not something that, like people, I think people get messed up a lot when they feel like they going to become a 40% three point shooter in all, in one off season. Like that's, that's not how this shit work. You know what I'm saying? Obviously I'm going to, you know, work on my shot and all that stuff. Um, but I just want to like my IQ for the game, especially in the playoffs, like being here, like has grown like tremendously, you know what I'm saying? So now, um, even though I'm not a knockdown shooter, I can figure out ways how to like to be effective offensively. You know what I'm saying? Um, whether it's cutting a screen for guys and then rolling or, you know, slipping my screen, doing whatever I got to do, getting off the glass and pushing it myself, like, um, you know, doing that, passing the ball, all that stuff, um, all the other stuff, you know, that, that, that you can use in the game is what I'm, you know, something that I want to continue to keep adding to my game to be successful, you know, in the near future, obviously long term, you know, I've already grown, you know, tremendously in my time here, you know, with my shot, I'm working every day, twice a day, um, you know, on that, but, um, I just feel like it's important to have short-term goals and long-term goals, you know what I'm saying? Because over time, my shot's going to improve to where, like, you got to, you know, eventually it run me off. But what can I do when we start up again in December or January to, you know, to keep myself on the floor um, at all times, you know? So that's kind of where my, my mind's at right now. You know, it's a whole bunch of stuff, I, you know, I'm working on in the meantime, in between time, uh, you know, to get ready for that. Speaking of, like, you being a rookie and young, the Nuggets, we, we talked about you guys have made the playoffs last year, back in the playoffs this year. But there are young guys on the team. Jamal Murray himself, this is only his third year in the league, fourth year, fourth year in the league. Yeah. And then you see a young guy like Michael Porter Jr. This is his second year. 
like yourself, Bull Bull. What type of what is the locker room like when you have a team that has that many young guys and then like guys like Porter Jr. and Murray who are like heavily relied on to contribute? And then you have these veterans as well. Does it make for like the perfect blend in the locker room? Does the do you young guys keep the older guys like a little bit more loose or vice versa? Like how is the locker room dynamic with it's- it's dope, honestly. And I've I've been in, you know, two other locker rooms with the Cavs and then with the uh with the Thunder G League team. But it's 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 perfect, in my opinion. You know, like you said, we got um vets, you know, and Paul, even you know, Nicola, Jamal, you know, is twenty-five. But like we got the young guys, myself, Mike, Bo, uh, whoever else it may be, and everybody in between. Like everybody um, you know, kind of thinks and acts and um carries themselves the same way. Um, and then obviously, you know, having Paul has been there, you know, you know, been around the block for a while. You know, Gary Harris has been with the, the organization for, you know, a handful of years. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Grant's in like year seven, you know, so we got guys that have experience, but like it's not a disconnect in terms of it's not like you got the old heads over here, then the young dudes doing whatever they do. You know what I'm saying? We all, you know, are together in everything that we do. So um, it's, de- it's definitely dope not having no kind of divide because I feel like a lot of times there's like a divide in the locker room. And I'm not saying it's a terrible thing, but um, I feel like the fact that we don't have that definitely helps our team chemistry and, you know, our trust and how we perform on the court, for sure. Yeah, that's dope. Like, I always wondered that, like, being inside an NBA locker room and then, like you said, two, so many different age ranges on this particular team and just hearing that it, it meshes well, you could see you could see on the court that it that the locker room meshes well because you guys often seem like you're on the same page. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, it's no, like, clicks, you know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of times you go to the team and it's, you know, these three or four dudes that, you know, be around each other a lot and you got everybody else over here, you got a group over here. Like, it don't matter, like, who I'm with or who I'm around. Like, we kicking it the same way I'm kicking it with some of the dudes I've known for years on the scene. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, it's, it's dope for sure. I enjoy being here. All right. And I have one more question for you. Like, one more question, important question. When the boycott went on, was it two weeks ago? Or- it's been three weeks. I can't even remember, bro. I've been here for so long. I don't lost track of time. The boy, <laughs> when it first happened, and you guys had the games got postponed, you guys had the meeting and everything. Did it ever really feel like while you were down there in the bubble that the season was in jeopardy, or did you guys have it in your mind that we always wanted to continue the season no matter what? Uh, yeah, I was uh. I definitely had some doubts uh, in terms of if we, if we were going to, you know, be playing again. Um, but just because, like, that was a legitimate, like, reason to stop playing, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Not saying that, you know, we should or shouldn't have continued to play, whatever. That's a whole different conversation. But um, there were guys that, that didn't feel like they wanted to play. You know what I'm saying? So even if it's half and half or whatever, if you got guys that, ain't, that don't want to play, then as a league, you, you got to honor that, you know what I'm saying? Especially in a time like this when there's, you know, such serious matters going on around the world. If, you know, the majority of the guys decided, okay, we like we don't want to play, then, like, the players is going to rock with them. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not just going to, you know, leave half our, you know, our, our, our league out and then other half start playing again. Like, if it got to the point to where, like, we decided as, you know, as a, um, as a league that, okay, most of the guys don't want to play, then we wasn't going to play. You know, and that's how it's going to go, in my opinion, at least. But, you know, we came to the realization that, uh, you know, plan was still going to be in our best interest, um, you know, along alongside with doing, you know, what we're doing, you know, saying in our in our communities, especially the black community in this country. Uh, well, you know, it was the best route to go. So I definitely felt like it was in, in jeopardy. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
I was like almost ready to start packing my stuff up because I thought we was going home the next day. Oh, I, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, but I'm glad we started playing again. I think it's important for us to continue to use the platform that we have here, but now we have to figure out ways to affect change, like seriously, you know what I'm saying? So um, that's, you know, the thing that that's, the, that's our next step, you know, as a league. Um, obviously, if we would have stopped playing, it would have, you know, affected the, the CBA and next season and seasons, you know, to come after that. But uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was big. It was big. So I definitely thought it was going on. And do you already have a sense, like, since the boycott and afterwards with the players having new demands for the owners and everything, do you already kind of get a sense that the tide is kind of starting to turn a little bit as far as the owners stepping up and doing more and being more proactive? Do you get that feeling already? Uh, I do. You know, I'm not in, in all the uh, the meetings. I'm not in the, in the PA, um, yeah. you know, but I, I do. Uh, I know the guys that are in charge well enough to know that uh, they're not going to let this opportunity pass us by, you know, without, you know, putting our best foot forward as a union in terms of demanding, you know, that our, our owners and that our league um, continue to push for change. So I know that, um, you know, whenever they, they send us emails or whenever we have a meeting or whatever, like they're coming back with some more solid, you know, you know, action plans and steps forward in terms of what we're doing, um, you know, as a league to affect change in our community. So I know, um, even though I'm not there with them, you know, in those meetings and in that room, I know that uh, they're doing everything that they, they can do for, uh, you know, to fight for us. We appreciate you coming on for this episode, Tyler. We appreciate you a lot, man. Definitely. No doubt. Appreciate y'all having me, bro. Thanks. And make sure you follow us at the Elite Media Group underscore on Twitter, at Play for Keeps Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and at RNC Radio Live on Twitter and Instagram for all of the podcasts different content, everything that we have coming in the near future and beyond. Until next time, we're out. Thanks for listening.